Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. I had a friend write and ask me explicitly, what does it mean to boast in your weakness? He was struggling over that phraseology from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Boasting in your weakness, that is a strange juxtaposition of words. I mean, typically we do not connect boasting with weakness unless you're mocking someone on the playground about their inability to accomplish a feat typically is something that we are superior at. So we look down on them boasting in weakness by putting them down. We call it bullying, actually. But in God's economy, boasting is something every Christian should do as they think about themselves being weak, vulnerable, fragile, because mature believers know that God will not compete with them. It can't be strength and strength, but it is always weakness and strength. And this is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It is God's treasure in jars of clay, always the juxtaposition of God's strength in our weakness. And so we do see this concept also most profoundly in the death of Christ, causing the disciples to struggle to wrap their minds around the counterintuitive gospel message. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas. We are doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. You can find me, as always, in my cyber home at lifeovercoffee.com. If you want to read, watch, or listen to what I'm sharing with you, Go over there. Here's the title that you're looking for. What does it mean to boast in your weakness? And so I want to jump right into it. I mentioned the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It would be good to read through the first 10 verses where Paul clearly and transparently lays out his reasons for boasting in his weakness. Now, we call this the the thorn in the flesh passage where he plainly said that he would boast in his weakness. Why, Paul? So that the power of Christ would not only rest on him, but be operative in him. And the more that you understand that section of God's word, the more that you'll be able to comprehend the purpose of suffering and how God perfects his strength in our weaknesses. Again, Paul said this a very similar thing in the clay pot passage in 2 Corinthians 4-7 where he implied that we must accept that we are jars of, of edamic clay. The most significant stumbling block for anyone to grasp this message is always our former manner of life. You remember in Ephesians 4.22, in fact, you could start at verse 17 where Paul talked about how we were futile in our thinking as we continued to harden our hearts as we were imbibing into the culture. That is our former manner of life. That time, that season in our life, however long it may have been, before we met Christ and and he regenerated us. The time that we spent as non-believers receiving the cultural indoctrination that has become our primary shape and influences. And depending on how much of your former manner of life 
creates a, a block, a blockade or a hindrance or a hurdle for you to get over. Depending on how much the culture has shaped your thinking, boasting in weakness will be, uh, it will be a, a tough putt for uh, the Christian to work through. Let me give you a few examples of how our former manner of life can become a deterrent to gospel counterintuitive thinking. For example, fathers can pressure their children to be their best, striving to improve, and it can create an unhealthy competitive spirit in the child where winning is the only thing. Another example is fear of others. The fear of man, it can lure the insecure soul to compare themselves among themselves, compare themselves with their peers, hoping that nobody will notice their weakness. And if they do, they would be afraid of them mocking them for not being able to meet the standard, whatever that standard may be. Fear of man truly is a snare for the soul. A third illustration is the culture and how it applauds winners and frowns on losers so much so that they've changed the rules so that everybody can win. Everybody gets a participation trophy because nobody wants to suffer the embarrassment of not measuring up. We do not want to be weak. We do not want to be dinged and dented clay pots. We just can't accept the message, and that is the cultural indoctrination. Let me give you one more illustration from our the, uh, the Hollywood elite set. They tell us what beauty and perfection are, and too many women are insecure enough to accept the gaslighting to the point of transforming themselves into cultural norms. Of course, the sports world is rife with discontented athletes as their glory fades and the star the, the, the star is the last person to accept reality. So he retires and then he unretires and then he retires again. He does not know how to rejoice in his weaknesses. Somebody coached him up since Pop Warner, instilling a mindset that he is the greatest. His strength unleashed became the zeitgeist that stirred an insatiable desire to compete and to conquer. The hard truth is, is that we are similar to the glory-seeking athlete discontentment and insecurity can easily entangle us, creating a disdain for being weak, being average, being different, being insecure, being fallen, being imperfect, being homely, being unsuccessful, or being rejected. Pick your poison. We all struggle similarly. It is hard for a clay pot to accept that being disposable not being good enough, not being immortal enough is the best that we can be. Ask the superstar. Ask the average guy who is embarrassed about his career path, what others think about him, or the house that he lives in, the car that he drives, or the average woman who is overly self-aware of the advancement of old age. The nature of the jar of clay implies imperfection.
but the proud heart and the discontented soul will have difficulty accepting this truth. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, my kid belongs to the No Cavity Club, and I just sat there at the light thinking, really? And of course, the way my twisted mind works, I immediately thought about making a bumper sticker that says, my kid is a B student with three cavities. <laughs> Boom, take that. The craving heart will always be on the prowl for significance, even if it is in his bicuspid. Now, caveat for those of you who are just shocked right now, I am not knocking healthy teeth. I'm not knocking unhealthy living in any way, but I am saying the unguarded door of crouching pride always seeks to devour the high-minded. If you think this is not a significant problem, then I recommend spending time with the abortion advocates or the euthanasia proponents. There is an innate, insidious, Adamic reason that they want to kill people. Weakness and deformity are contrary to the self-reliant spirit of our age. And though these death proponents are some of the more outlandish illustrations of people who hate weakness, we are not significantly different because we have an internal disdain for the death that is operative in our bodies. We were born to break. We were born to die Deterioration is part of what the curse means. God built us to last, but Adam sinned and everything took on the smell of death. The Lord condemned us to die, though his mercy would not allow us to be trapped in a body of death forever. And amen. So the, de the deteriorating effect of sin, it begins at birth. And a self-aware fallen pot intuits the death march. But rather than seeking Christ, relying on him who raises the dead, the, the self-aware fallen pot pursues self-reliant strategies to resist fallenness, not realizing soon enough that any joy outside of God's strength is hollow Living in God's reality is where genuine joy begins. Rejoicing in our weakness is recognizing and accepting that our fallenness is the proper starting place. And so we have a warning here. We have to determine that we will not succumb to discouragement as we consider our disposableness. As Christian pots, we must press into the greater truths of the gospel. A sanctified pot does not sit around lamenting that it is dirty, disposable, rejected, undesirable. The Christian pot has a bigger vision than the squalidness of their former manner of life. Like Paul Harvey used to say, now for the rest of the story. And for all of you who are under 50, you can Google it. But I used to listen to Paul Harvey every day. He was a radio commentary. He used to tell these stories. It's called The Rest of the Story. They're actually quite uh, inspiring. And I'm sure you can find them on YouTube or somewhere. And so he would tell a story and then he would end it in part. And then he would take a commercial break. 
right before he said, or uh, he would say, now for the rest of the story, and then he would tell some unbelievable ending that was always encouraging. Well, the sanctified Christian pot knows that there is more to the story than just being dinged and dented and disposable and despairing. The pot is on the road to rejoicing in its weakness because the pot knows it's not stuck in the rut of its weakness. He knows that only through weakness thinking and application that the power of Christ will manifest in its life. The pot's weakness has a higher purpose. Paul, not Harvey, Paul the Apostle, said it this way. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why, Paul? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Are you discouraged because you are a clay pot? Do you wish you were not the way you are? Does the way some people treat you discourage you? Are you a pot shaped by other individuals and what they think about you? There are at least three reasons clay pots become angry or fall into self-pity mode when they think about the weakness and they disdain, like the questions that I just asked you. One, they dislike how God made them. Two, they don't like the way others have shaped them. And then three, they don't like a combination, a hybrid of both. What God did to them, and I'm not saying that in any accusative way at all, a disparaging way, but this is how God made them, and they don't like that, and combined with what others may have done to them. If you are a frustrated pot because of how you are, you cannot experience genuine joy until you change your mind. You'll need to accept your pot identity to become a happy pot. Jesus did not come for pretty pots. Pretty pots do not need his assistance. He looks for the fragile. He looks for the dinged, the dented, the downcast, the disposable pot. Jesus came for that person who owns his fallenness. He recognizes that he can't do anything about it. He recognizes his hopeless estate, and there is no amount of self-reliance that's going to lift him up by his bootstraps and bring him out of the miry clay and place him upon a rock. He needs Christ, and so he seeks Christ. Did you know it is hard for some people to talk about their sins or let others know that they have failed in particular ways? It's true. Many individuals in the Christian community hide behind a wall of fear of being exposed. They are shame-filled and sin-focused. And though these fearful people don't publicly talk about their sins, which is appropriate, in certain conditions. I am not talking about standing on the platform at your corporate meeting on Sunday morning and just blaring every bad thing that you ever thought or said. No, that is foolish. But there is an appropriateness about communicating to a certain number of people. But some people are afraid of doing this. They know that something is wrong with themselves. It is hard for them to accept who they are, and so they won't talk about who they are to the proper people. 
they don't want anyone to know anything. And because of this fear of being found out or their frustration with being a jar, they indulge in self-pity. Or maybe they choose anger and begin to retaliate outwardly. Both of those are anger. Anger turned inward is self-pity. Anger turned outward is retaliating, punitive toward other people. Both of those forms of anger hurt someone, whether it's self-pity, self-imposed hurting, or if it's anger outward hurting other people. And when I talk about acceptance, the fact that you are broken, it doesn't mean that you can never change or that you enjoy your broken condition. Acceptance merely means acknowledging. It merely means stepping into reality, accepting reality that this is who I am. It means being honest, being open, being transparent, being humble about yourself. I mean, Calvary is blaring into our psyche that we are broken people. What was the point of Christ dying on Adam's tree? But it is a loud declaration that there is something wrong with us. And so acknowledging and accepting is affirming the gospel. Of course, our consciences are also shouting at us, reminding us of who we are that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Fallenness is only a bad thing for the self-righteous person who disdains exposure. Embracing fallenness is why the Pharisees had such a hard time accepting the gospel's truth. They were weak. They were fallen. They were inadequate. They were moral failures. They stood in need of Christ, but rather than accepting the reality and accepting Christ, they created a system for overcoming their weaknesses, manufactured strategies to do all things through me who strengthens me. That is at the heart of self-reliance. These are half measures that will end poorly for all of his participants. A high-minded clay pot shudders to think that they can be bad, breaking bad, broken down, disposable clay pots. On their worst days, they sink into anger, turn inward as they indulge in self-pity dark reminders that crave hope and desire to be better than what their fallenness pronounces them to be. If this is where you go in your heart, when you think about your inadequacies, you will never be able to get on the path of boasting in your weaknesses. And it's at this juncture where you must take your soul to task, reminding yourself that when you break, that when you get dinged, that when you chip, those things will not ultimately cast you down or destroy you. Now, of course, if, if no one could fix a broken clay pot, there would be no reason to rejoice. There would be every reason to not only fall into despair, but to go even farther into depression. But fortunately, for the Christian who acknowledges it's not only an acknowledgement, and an acceptance of fallenness, but it is an awareness of the one who made the pot and his ability to overcome fallenness through the power of his gospel. 
even in his weaknesses, the clay pot can rejoice because he knows that utter destruction will never be his portion. Something profound and otherworldly happens because of our connection, praise God, to the potter. It's like a little boy standing before his daddy while being accused or verbally assaulted by another boy on the playground. He's not hung up or overly focused on his inferiorities, his insecurities, or his inadequacies because he knows his daddy is with him. Contrarywise, the self-righteous clay pot will never be content with the fragileness of that moment on the playground. The self-righteous boy will constantly lament that he can't whoop the other kid, was made fun of, or put down by the other kid, or does not measure up in some way to the other kid. He will always long to be better, to be superior, to be more robust, to be more profound. It does not matter that his daddy is there. What should happen is that he should focus on what his daddy can do because of the boy's weaknesses or despite his weaknesses. The boy with a high view of himself will never be satisfied, content, or at rest. He will always be striving to be stronger, to be bigger, to be better. Each time he fails, he will plummet into more misery, never realizing or acknowledging that his daddy is there to rescue him. He will spin into a sin cycle by not relying on God's strength. He will be frustrated because he can't be better than he is. If the little boy on the playground begins to understand and apply the gospel, he will become more content with who he is, a simple, dingable clay pot. He will focus less on what he has or does not have while rejoicing in what God can do through him. Boasting in our weaknesses is accepting the facts of our fallenness while clinging to our strong Savior. This is not a zippity-dee-doo-dah-I-have-sinned attitude, but it is a combination of these truths, and I'll put it in a quote for you. Quote, I will never be anything more than a clay pot on earth. I'm inadequate in my strengths. I don't have to strive to be something I am not. God made me the way that I am so that his surpassing power can work in and through me. When his strength works through me, it glorifies God. And I live in his immense pleasures, goodness, unquote. Therefore, we have a steady and consistent heart of gratitude. We rejoice in our weaknesses. If it were not for our weaknesses, the power of Christ could not be in us or work through us, which is the cause of our rejoicing. And so we must accept our weaknesses while cooperating with God's strength that he is perfecting in us. His strength is being perfected in our weaknesses, and that is exactly what God told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Our rejoicing is not because of sin. We're not sin-centered. We're not on a sin hunt. We don't glory in sin. 
It is because of the combination and the accumulative effect of having a treasure in a jar of clay. That is our rejoicing. It's like saying, yes, I am weak, but you must know who my daddy is. He's the one who can do great and mighty things through my weakness, and it will blow your mind. And in this, I rejoice. I have titled this, What Does It Mean to Boast in Your Weakness? This is a response to a friend who wrote in and asked, I, 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 I read that term and what Paul is saying, boasting in your weakness, uh, I re even read the article that you wrote, Why God Wants You to Be a Jar of Clay, but I'm really struggling with this notion of boasting in weakness. I trust that this helps. And by the way, I want you to read what I just shared with you, or you can watch or listen to it. I, uh, any of those three is fine. You can slide down to the bottom of this article. There is a print button at the bottom that you can click. You can print it off. You can share it with your friends and, and make copious notes on it and have many conversations for transfer. I would love for you to get the companion article, Why God Wants Us to Be a Jar of Clay, and put those two together so that you can really wrestle with this because this is our kryptonite. Weakness is our kryptonite. The apostles stumbled all over it. They could not get their mind around why would he want to die on a cross. That is weakness and it is foolishness, and they had yet to come into the enlightenment that the weakness of God is stronger than any of us, and the foolishness of God is wiser than all of us. But eventually they got that truth, and they understood the secret, this counterintuitive message of the gospel. And we have to come into that place as well. So again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you just blare all of your weaknesses to anybody that will listen to you, but there has to be at least one person in your life to where you're able to peel the fig leaves back on your life and say, hey, this is the real me. And we want to grow in vulnerability, not because that's going to be our identity, but because that's going to be the sequencing that is going to lead us to experiencing God's strength through our weakness. And so in this article, what does it mean to boast in your weaknesses? I want to close with a few CTAs, and I trust that these questions that I ask will help you to wrestle through it. By the way, those of you who do the work of discipleship, as you're helping someone, let this article be a companion article. If they struggle with the fear of man, uh, if they have a facade of strength, but you can see beyond that facade, uh, maybe this article will be a good companion to the work of discipleship that you're doing with them. You meet with them on Tuesday, send this to them on Thursday. You meet with them again on Tuesday and just loop around, but let this article do some of the work for you. And Ask them to work through the CTAs at the end. Here's question number one. What does it mean to boast in your weaknesses? Would you take the time to answer that question? And I do want you to answer. I want you to carve out some time soon. And I would appeal to you to even talk to a friend. That one friend that you can talk to about this idea of boasting in your weakness and explaining this concept to them. Now, the reason I'm asking you to do that is because sanctification happens in long-term memory. It doesn't happen on Facebook where you like, 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 and like something. All of that stuff gets 
gets washed out of your brain because you don't take the time to let it settle into your psyche, into your soul. And so if you really want to change, you got to take one thought, not five, take one thought and let it work through a gradient process of sinking down into your soul. And then in time, it will not only become your thought, but it will begin to shape how you think. It will export that former manner of life and you will import the Christ life into your soul, but you will only do that by working through a process over a period of time. And so if you can explain this to someone, that will be the process of remembering it. It will not only bless them, it's a twofer, it will bless them, but it will work that down into your psyche. And so what does it mean to boast in your weakness? And would you carve out some time to explain that to a friend? Question number two. How has the indoctrination of the culture hindered or prohibited you from accepting your weaknesses? I, I was a, a non-Christian for 25 years, and so think about that. It takes 21 days to form a habit. I, I was forming habits for 2.5 decades, and so there was deeply ensconced thinking in my mindset, worldviews that have taken shape, and one of those worldviews is, if I can reach back into my days of, of um, movies, uh, it was a John Wayne mindset. John Wayne was a man's man, a cowboy, the Duke, uh, and the irony with John Wayne is, is that his real name is Marion Morrison. But that doesn't fly with Macho Men. And so he changed his name to John Wayne, and that was his movie actor's name. And to be John Wayne was to be a man. And, and that is the stereotypical man. Unfortunately, no shade on John Wayne. But the mindset was it's deeply placed into our souls. And so the question is, how has the indoctrination of the culture hindered or prohibited you from accepting your weaknesses? Question number three. What are the top two things that make boasting in your weakness hard for you to live out practically? And so take, to, take some time. Talk to the Lord. Talk to a friend that, hey, here's a couple of reasons why uh, it is hard for me. And I've, I've talked to men and women over the years in counseling context, and they, they have shared all sorts of reasons of why they don't want to be vulnerable, don't want to be weak, don't want to be honest, don't want to be transparent, don't want to be open, don't want to be exposed to anyone. And those are legitimate reasons because they have been hurt or because they have been defrauded in some way. This is a thing but unfortunately, rather than working that out and casting that on Christ, they just built up a defense force field around them. Self-reliant strategies not to be hurt again will keep you from the weakness that you need to experience Christ in you. And so what are the top two things that make boasting in your weakness hard for you to live out practically? Question number four. Is there at least one person who knows the real you? Again, our temptation is to self-edit ourselves and promote that person, our carefully edited version while hiding our shame-ridden selves. And so is there at least one person who knows you? And if you don't, begin praying about that individual. Maybe you can go through our friendship series on our website 
the uh, seven-part series on building relationships, perhaps that would be a benefit to you so that you can not just pray about, but you can uh, find that one person that you can start building that relational bridge toward so that you can have these deeper, more in-depth conversations with them. Finally, question number five, perhaps you have a friend who hides behind a mask, fig leaves. They sense the shame that keeps them in a weakened state. What would you like to say to them? Hoping to get them to see that boasting in weakness is a worldview that transforms lives. And so I would ask for you to pray uh, about an opportunity to talk to them. Ask God to give you the courage to speak to them. Maybe you could use this article as as a, a launch pad to get into that conversation but I'm pretty sure that most all of you know someone who, who has a carefully edited version of themselves and they're living behind that facade. They're living behind the fig leaves and, and because of the shame, that internal awkwardness that they experience in their souls. And so who is that person and would you be willing to go and to talk to them? Thank you so much. The title of it is, What Does It Mean to Boast in Your Weakness? You can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.